0: Taint not thy mind, nor let thy soul contrive against thy mother aught. Leave her to heaven, and to those thorns that in her bosom lodge to prick and sting her. Fare thee well at once. Zach Powers,
1: and this is Stage of Fools,
0: the unofficial Royals Podcast.
1: Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 7, Taint Not Thy Mind, Nor Let Thy Soul Contrive Against Thy Mother. The truth about Domino is revealed as Eleanor spends rare quality time with Helena and Liam tracks down the mysterious serving girl from his birthday party. Cyrus asserts his power as monarch as his relationship with Violet grows more serious. Yes, you heard me right, folks. That is the full title of mm-hmm. this episode. Taint not thy mind, nor let thy soul contrive against thy mother. Yeah. I can't even believe I managed to say it in one take.
0: Yeah. It's it's approximately one-third of um, Act 1, Scene 5 <laughs> of Hamlet, so... <gasps>
1: It's basically a monologue.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, The whole time we've been doing Stage of fools, Zach and I have been pointing out how ridiculous these titles are. But Mm -hmm. I honestly think this one takes the cake for now. Because they're starting to run out of super obvious quotes about, you know, kissing Mm -hmm. and... Knives and arrows and stuff, and mothers, of course. So pretty soon, they're going to have to start dipping into the more obscure, and I'm really excited.
0: I'll I'll credit some of their restraint in not using some of the most well-known lines from Hamlet. Like, they've only gone to the to-be-or-not-to-be monologue one time. To their credit.
1: Okay, I was about to say, how dare you say that when they've used slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. In an episode with a bow and arrow. They
0: had to. They couldn't resist. It was inevitable.
1: (laughs) Honestly, if I were in their shoes, I would have done the same thing. So, it's fair. Well, this episode, unlike the last episode, which was pretty much, with the exception of Liam's encounter with the servant girl at his party, it was a pretty intrigue-free episode that was more focused on yeah. the kind of romantic and social machinations of the characters' various circles and their romances either coming together or falling apart. Um, this episode is extremely conspiracy-heavy, as in that's yes. basically the only thing that's going on, is kind of uh-huh. exploring this uh, domino organization for... For a lack of a better word, because we haven't really learned what it was until now.
0: And the thing about this episode is it's not so much the plot moving forward or the conspiracy moving forward. It's mostly three groups of scenes of people sitting around talking about what happened 30 years ago. That takes up the majority of the episode.
1: Intercut with some truly astounding soft focus right. flashbacks. Yeah. I hope that our listeners who don't watch the show, because I know there are some of you out there, you crazy diamonds, um, are really excited for this reveal. And what apparently the show has been leading <laughs> up to for two seasons, this Illuminati-esque conspiracy, mm-hmm. because... In this episode, we sort of find out what's going on, and it does not make a lick of
0: sense. No. And uh, it doesn't make the Domino organization seem particularly threatening, in my view, based on um, what they have done so far. Um, But
1: I I just have to come out and say it. Apparently, they didn't kill Robert or Simon. No,
0: no. So, all they've done... All they've done is hold up some signs. They set fire to the royal lawn. They put
1: a necklace on Liam.
0: Yeah, like children on Devil's Night, basically, (laughs) is the amount of threat that this organization carries with it.
1: It's, yeah, it's Halloween gone out of hand. It's basically Ben Affleck walking around, knocking down mailboxes with a baseball bat.
0: Pretty much, yeah. It's, uh, it's, they have the antics of, like... An episode of Freaks and Geeks where Lindsay does something she regrets pretty much.
1: Yeah, she throws eggs at Sam. Yeah. It wouldn't be an episode of Stage of Fools if we didn't immediately try to start talking about a better show. (laughs) So another crux of this episode is Helena and Eleanor's relationship. Mm -hmm. And we'll go through scene by scene and talk about some of the conversations they have. But I just wanted to say up top, because it's really funny, they're sort of with these past couple of episodes trying to, like, retcon Helena's entire first season arc where she was an antagonist Mm -hmm. to make her a protagonist and changing her motivation for all the things we saw her very obviously do in season one. Right. And completely rewriting the structure, the bones of her relationship with her daughter. And... It is bizarre. It's
0: strange, and 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 I don't think that's the only example of that happening in this particular episode. First, the reveal, which is kind of kind of lame, the reveal of Domino, and also some stuff with Jasper. I think this episode more than any other. Reveals that they do not have a larger game plan on the Royals. They're kind of just winging it as they go along.
1: They don't know what to do, but they especially don't know what to do with Jasper. Because they fucked up so badly when Mm. they introduced him. Now they have been trying to backpedal since literally season one, episode one. And it comes into sharp focus in this episode. Can we please talk about the opening montage? Which is Unlike anything the show has ever done before or possibly since. Yeah. The show opens with Jasper knocking on Eleanor's door and he walks into her bedroom and she's still in her dress from the birthday party episode from last time. And she's kind of like curled up on the couch in her room Mm -hmm. and he like confesses his love for her very abruptly and like in a rush, which to be fair, that's how it often happens. And then she slaps him in the face, and as soon as she slaps him, it cuts back to him at the door knocking, and he tries a different tactic of apology. Yes. And she slaps him, and it cuts back to the door. So it's basically all his different Modes. ideas or fantasies of how she yeah. would get back on solid ground with her. But I wanted to say, although I don't love his sad boy confessions of love – they tried to do the BDSM thing with him again they in did. this montage. They brought back
0: his, like, super controlling personality that existed in season one, where he was trying to order her Yeah, around. he walks
1: into her room and is, like, immediately tells her, you know, tells her to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. In a couple of them, and in one, he even, like, grabs her by the arm. And I was like, no, 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 no. You can't go back that direction. Like, you just got yourself on, like... The shakiest of footing of this character, like okay, maybe we can trust him, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. to go back down the like dominance submission route was a mistake, and bringing it up in this montage, even that tiny little taste of it, I was like, no. Yes,
0: and and the montage ends with him sitting with Liam reviewing security footage, and one of the things they're reviewing is. He sees himself in the security footage about to knock on the door and then not doing it. And I want to get your take on this because I honestly don't know. Do you get the impression that the entire opening montage is him just imagining ways he could try to apologize and that he never actually went in her room at all? Or do you yes. think those all actually happened? The former, right? That's the impression that I got. It would
1: be impossible for those all to have happened. For him yeah. to walk into the room over and over again. I'm not sure I understand your question. It would be impossible for this to be anything but a fantasy scene. Well, sequence.
0: I mean, I think they initially play it off like he's trying different ways to get back in her favor. And that he's repeatedly coming to her door that day. But
1: that's not how it played to me. Every single time they showed her on the couch, she was sitting in the exact same position. It was oh, like was a she... Groundhog's oh, okay. Day thing. So, I I don't think. I mean, with the first take, with the first take before the slap, they obviously are trying to trick us that it's real, right? Um, but after that, every single time she turns around in the same way, he enters in the exact same way. I think it's obvious that it's him Imagining. having all these different ideas, mm-hmm. and I think it's actually him standing at the door with like his fist raised playing all these different ideas, and then the moment of him and Liam in the security thing brings us back to present day, and as Mm -hmm. he's watching the footage of himself almost knocking on the door, he's thinking, like, oh, I almost went in and I didn't, but because I'm too cowardly or whatever, although honestly it's like you've emotionally abused this drug-addicted girl enough at this point. Can we take a little breather, please?
0: On the plus side, for the majority of the rest of the episode, you don't see a lot of Jasper, you just hear hear him talked about for the most part.
1: But the way he's talked about is so infuriating Mm -hmm. and nonsensical. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself. He spends most of this episode sitting there watching security footage, and that's because... When the show broke up him and Eleanor, which I guess they kind of had to do to, like, keep their whole, like, will-they-won't-they they romance thing going. Sure. They're like, well, he's a series regular. What are we going to do with him? And what they landed on was this James Bond thing, which we've yeah. been seeing for all of season two. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. there it is. Uh, that's what he's doing. That's what he'll be doing for the next few episodes. I can't decide whether I hate him more as this mopey, lovelorn, romantic guy or is this... Like, very sullen, no-personality, amazing punching guy. Like, it's two pretty equally unpleasant options, admittedly.
0: I don't know that they're entirely mutually exclusive either, because he does a lot of no-personality punching in Season (laughs) 2 also. In Season 1? Well, and some in Season 2, like when he takes out those bodyguards and such.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm saying in season one he was more of the angsty romantic oh, hero. Oh yes, love lord. And yeah, in right. season two he's mostly been a punching machine for Liam. He's Liam's right. two extra fists.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> I don't know. It's an opening. It's fine, I guess. I don't. Mm, I don't think there's much else to say about it.
1: This episode takes place the day immediately after mm-hmm. the twins' disastrous birthday party. Yeah. And it is the day of their actual birthday.
0: Yes. So
1: they're how old. We have no idea, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm trying to think what starts off the
0: right. Right after we cut back from the title card, we have this sort of wistful, melancholy music and uh, a shot of a horse running. with like an Instagram (laughs) filter over it. accurate um just to introduce us to the recurring flashbacks that are going to occur in this episode
1: so the girl on the horse is domino as we'll find out later on her name is dominique domino was her family nickname which is annoying because i don't think that's a good nickname that has you know as many syllables as your name i feel like it's way more yeah, likely to call her like dom or domi or something but mm-hmm. whatever um and i wanted to say i think that They did a very poor job casting this girl, not because she doesn't look elegant and beautiful or anything like that. I mean, she has no lines, but because at first I couldn't tell if she was supposed to be young Elizabeth Hurley or not. She looks so much like her and Eleanor. And later on, we'll see a picture of Helena, Simon and Dominique and Helena and Dominique. I mean, maybe that's the point, but they look. So similar that it was hard to tell at first who exactly this was supposed to be. But not in, like, a mysterious way, and just a, like, a, why am I supposed to be caring about this sort of way.
0: I mean, we'll come back to more about this character and her relationship with Simon and Helena later. But, um, I don't know. They they throw that entire backstory, most of the episode is dedicated to clearing that up. So, that's all... Well and good, I guess, but...
1: uh, (laughs) You look so sad. Um,
0: I don't know. Um, (laughs) There's a lot of scenes of people sitting around tables having tea and talking. Uh, That's the primary means of communicating what happened exactly. Um, To be fair, that's
1: what happens on most actual British TV shows.
0: The first scene after that is Elizabeth Hurley in bed, still wearing her clothes from the day before.
1: Everyone's wearing their clothes from the day before. (laughs)
0: Right, yeah, so that's a theme. And Joan Collins comes in to wake her up.
1: Both literally and figuratively.
0: And she's very, she goes full, I know we say she's uh, the Lucille Bluth of the Royals, but in this scene, she is 100% Lucille Bluth of the Royals. Um, yeah, she uh, she immediately mocks her for still wearing her clothes from the day before, saying that no one would want to um, admire or... Uh, uh, I can't remember her exact phrasing, but that none of the people would have any respect for someone who slept in their clothes and still had their makeup on and that it would blah, 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 and advises her to wear bigger earrings to distract from her wrinkles.
1: I mean, obviously, Joan Collins says some really mean stuff that's not cool in this scene because, as we have said before, Elizabeth Hurley is an extremely beautiful woman and Mm -hmm. time has not touched her in any sort of negative way. But I think a lot of what Joan Collins says is actually very true. She says that the royalty is a brand, they're a business, Mm -hmm. and if you're not actively you know selling that brand if you're not working on packaging yourself as a part of that business as a part of that lifestyle then you might as well get out of it because you're not going to be able to maintain that so i mean i don't think she's wrong in that sense in some ways i don't Mm -hmm. have a i don't have a hugely negative view of the royal family of britain but i i still think that she's right about it being a family business in many ways
0: She's also right about a couple other things because she acts as a mouthpiece for at least us and assumedly some other people who watch this show uh, in speaking against the Cyrus Violet relationship. Um, she is not a fan of the fact that Cyrus has so quickly moved forward with this Basically, a a woman who was a couple weeks before nothing but a maid in the palace.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously classism is at play here majorly. I'm not a fan of Cyrus and Violet because she seems too young for him and they have nothing in common. But the major issue for Helena and her mother is, well, number one, that because of Helena... Oh, Helena, think things through. Because Helena changed the order of succession, if Violet and Cyrus get married, as it seems like they're about to, because mm-hmm. they heard from the royal jeweler that Cyrus picked out an engagement ring, um, then Violet will become the ruler of England if Cyrus dies while they're married. Right. And this is basically Helena's own doing, because she's the one who went ahead and had the whole change of the order of succession. And... I thought for this episode in the first time, why didn't Helena see this coming? If not with Violet, then with someone else. Like, she knows that Cyrus you know, is attracted to and has sexual affairs with men, and obviously Mm -hmm. he could never marry a man, but she also knows that he's had just as many sexual affairs with women and that he likes the status of having a beautiful woman on his arm and that, you know, she knows him well, so in some ways she must know that even he needs companionship. I don't know why it's so surprising to them that he is getting married.
0: Even beyond that, I would think that she is aware of Cyrus as a relatively conniving person. And I don't think she can get a major bill that changes the order of secession through Parliament without him actually becoming somewhat aware of it. So why wouldn't he just find somebody he could use as a measure to prevent Helena from gaining the crown? Like, there's nothing stopping him from doing that either.
1: Cyrus and Helena were very close in the first season because they had Simon as a common enemy. Without Simon there to focus their anger on, which sounds crazy even to my own ears because he was such a benign universally benevolent character, Mm -hmm. but he really was their common enemy. Um, Without him there, they've kind of turned on each other. And I think that's part of the reason the show is trying to make Helena more sympathetic as they've moved her over from the antagonist column to the protagonist column because she's against Cyrus. But I don't know why Helena believed that Cyrus would still be so loyal to her when they've they've been arguing nonstop. They've had a huge falling out. Mm -hmm. That said, she should have listened to me And married him, Gertrude and Claudia style, like I've been saying the entire time. She could have easily prevented this from happening. They could have had, you know, like a lavender marriage, basically. Like, you sleep with whoever you want. I'm not going to fuck you. But we'll be married for, like, the convenience of the consolidation of power.
0: Joan Collins also does the work for the fan community in this episode and gives Cyrus and Violet a shipping name. In fact, she specifically says, I'm not into shipping virus. I'm slightly surprised she knows what shipping is, to be honest with you. Yeah,
1: I'm sure they like fed that line to Joan Collins phonetically. She's like, you're having me say what now? Mm -hmm. I mean, virus is pretty funny, I guess. Also of note, Joan Collins is wearing a pink cape in this scene. Mm -hmm. Cannot be understated.
0: Yeah, I think throughout the entire episode, because I think it all takes place on that one day.
1: Which is not uncommon for the Royals. That's why the passage of time is so confusing. Mm -hmm. Because many episodes are like, it's the day after all the big events of the episode before, and now we're going to cover one day. And then like... Prudence is three more months pregnant.
0: <laughs> that is what we have to work with on this particular podcast, so.
1: We're muddling through somehow.
0: So Liam, meanwhile, had this major revelation last night that he recognized some woman at the party as the person who. Some
1: girl. She looks like she's 13 years old.
0: Uh, a girl at the party who was on the wait staff, who was supposedly the person who put this necklace around his neck the night he was dead drunk the night that Simon got stabbed he follows up with one of his, his douchey rich friend, his straight douchey rich friend, not his gay douchey rich friend, (laughs) um, about the waitstaff they hired for the party to try and find this girl. Um, and conveniently, he has slept with a number, another member of the wait staff who happens to just be there in the bed to explain who she is.
1: Hilariously, she's completely under the covers, like curled up like a little boulder, mm-hmm. and he just like taps on the sheets, and she emerges. Right. Um, so that happened. I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> um, these rich douchebags are certainly convenient for moving certain parts of the plot along, especially when they can speak flawless Russian.
0: Yeah. That's true. I'd almost forgotten. Yeah. Uh, they're useful devices. They're useful tools. How about that? Sure. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So they're hot on the... Tr- like, she kind of sets them in the right direction to find this girl. I think she gives them a name.
1: She knows where she got her tattoo done or something like that. They were talking about tattoos. Tattoos. And that's right. She's able to direct him to, I think, the tattoo place where... This girl got it done. Yes. Uh, I don't know a lot about tattoo artistry because I myself don't have any, but it seems like it would be frowned upon for a tattoo artist to give out personal information about a customer. So I don't really know how this works out, but it does.
0: That's true of almost every business, I feel like. I guess so,
1: but I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with this. The show doesn't know where it's going with this either, though, because... By the end of the episode, I still feel that there's not sufficient explanation for why this girl put this necklace on Mm -hmm.
0: him. Why? It doesn't make any sense. Uh,
1: They're not even the ones who killed Simon. No,
0: no, 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 no. They're just, as I have said before, they're pretty good at branding, but not much, not much else. That's kind of their whole thing.
1: I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but later on in this episode, when this girl and Liam do cross paths, she's like, the night I saw you, you just, you seemed so nice. And I'm like... He was passed out drunk drunk. in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I like men better when they're not talking at all either, Mm -hmm. girl. But you're getting ahead of yourself. Um, I mean, maybe she caught his karaoke performance of The Lion King, which would actually explain everything.
0: It would make sense that she was maybe following him the entire night and saw him get in a fight with a big guy. He was just kind of
1: being an asshole to everyone that night, though. Um, Uh, well...
0: But uh, they're not the only ones who are moving forward their investigation. Ted has a domino card. (laughs) And he shines a black light on the back of it. This is definitely the second time that they've used the black light on the back of the card trick. This is
1: like some spy versus spy shit right here.
0: And it gives them an address.
1: That's not a good hidden code. That's not a good secret because if I got a code like that, I mean I feel like a lot of people would be like, let's shine it under different kinds of light and see what happens. Like there's Mm -hmm. no code. There's no like real good secrecy to it at all. But whatever.
0: This is Ted, so the fact that he managed to figure anything out is kind of a miracle, just a little bit. Yeah, let's
1: just remember, it's canon in the show that he's not good at his job. That's not just something Zack and I are saying. Multiple characters have pointed out that he is terrible at his job.
0: Do you think Ted is only still employed by the monarchy because his wife died and they feel sorry for him? And they're like, we can't fire him now. He lost his wife in the line of service,
1: I think Simon, for whatever reason, trusted him, and that was probably a factor like he wanted to do right by him after that. I think since simon 's death, the reason there hasn 't been a staff turnover is well I mean besides the regular household staff who 've gotten swapped out for prostitutes uh-huh. <laughs> um, but
0: First the reason there't been
1: the reason there hasn 't been more major staff turnover is part inertia because the show doesn 't care, and the characters don 't care. And partly because, um, you know, to expand on that a little, to read into it if we must, um, Cyrus probably likes having someone in place who he can control, who's head of security. He wouldn't want someone like James Hill who actually has, like, a backbone and a soul and an opinion.
0: Yeah, not to mention that. Cyrus is not above doing the occasional shady shit. And he probably doesn't want somebody who could actually track him when he does it.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think it's in Cyrus's best interest to have someone incompetent in that position. And he's found a perfect match in Ted. So Ted finds this address under the blacklight.
0: And he makes off for this random location. Meanwhile, back at the palace, Cyrus and Violet are waking up, uh from uh, i don 't know I guess a night of sleep and sex, I assume
1: <laughs> let 's not think about it,
0: yeah, um, and i don 't remember much else of what happens in this scene, but Cyrus confesses his love for violet
1: ooh, real quick before we get into the love confession, which I do want to break down beat for beat, mm-hmm. what they 're doing is they 're going through different like on um, they have like tablets like iPads as well as some paper oh, okay, newspapers and magazines. Mm-hmm. They're looking at all the articles and headlines about the fact that Cyrus is turning Britain into a fascist dictatorship.
0: <laughs> Just a mere,
1: like, what, 70-odd years after World War II, which is uh-huh. very bizarre. Um, it's all about how Cyrus had that cartoonist who made that very benignly insulting cartoon about his chin. Um It's all about him having that guy arrested. And obviously there's a huge public outcry against it, which is what would happen. I I mean, I feel like it would immediately go to some sort of appeal or trial saying like this is against our – because Britain has a constitution too, right? This is unconstitutional.
0: I feel like what would really happen if Cyrus tried to have a cartoonist arrested at an event is – the officer he ordered to arrest him would say, you definitely can't do that and not do yeah. anything at all. But, I feel like
1: Cyrus is flirting with a military coup at this point.
0: Yeah. And to be fair to the thing about um, turning it into a fascist dictatorship only 70 years after World War One. We don't Tim. know that in the universe, World, world War Two. we don't know that in the universe of the Royals that war ever happened. Because as far as I know, they've never referenced it. And it's clearly not our world.
1: That's fair. Uh, we are on Earth, too, perhaps. Mm-hmm. The reason I mention that is because um, when I spent a little time living in England, you know... Understandably there's a lot of pride for, you know, Winston Churchill and the role that England had in sure. um, overcoming fascism in Germany and elsewhere in the world during yeah. that war. So I just thought it was kind of like kind of bizarre because I feel like this is something that's would be considered a huge yeah. slap in the face to like what it means to I'm be certain. English, all the positive things about being English. So
0: Sure.
1: I mean, you can I'm tell the show is made by Americans. So
0: for sure, yeah. I mean, I'm certain in Britain, even more so than America, because they had to endure the bombing, whereas America yeah. was mostly... Yeah, mostly... the show
1: takes place in London. Yeah. I mean... uh. Anyway. uh. So, Cyrus kind of, like, offhandedly mentions, like, as part of another sentence that I don't even remember, because every time these two are on screen, it's just, like, a struggle to make myself focus. Sure. <laughs> um... That he loves her and Violet, in you know, like typical rom com girl fashion, is like, You love me? But she, unlike typical rom com girl, it's not like a breathless, like, You love me? It's like, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Like, she's not smiling, she's like looking away. Her voice sounds very uncomfortable. And this is when I started to get a sneaking suspicion, which I'll talk more about later on, Mm -hmm. that perhaps I misjudged Violet and there's more to her than meets the eye. Because up until now, it seemed like her sole purpose is to be a very sympathetic love interest Mm -hmm. for Cyrus. But maybe she's not as interested in being his love interest as we once thought.
0: Yeah, Um, that seemed to be, in fact, her entire role in the show. Uh, was to help Cyrus get to uh, a more sympathetic, better place um, with almost no personality of her own except being a uh, a naive a, little munchkin.
1: Yeah, she's adorable. Her personality is mm-hmm. that she's such a cutie pie. Exactly. <laughs> um... um
0: but she also
1: tells him, you're only mean when you're nervous, and I'm like...
0: <laughs> no, she does not know him very well at all.
1: <laughs> that I is think 100% he's 100% untrue. He's probably like, more was...
0: mean when he's confident. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, he is nervous about talking to the people because Cyrus would never admit it, but he does on some level need to be liked. Loved. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least revered in some way. Maybe
0: on some level. This is a weirdly deep reading of Cyrus, I guess. But maybe Why not? He's he the best character. Uh, he doesn't feel like anybody would respect him, so he just tries to get them to fear him instead.
1: Maybe. Maybe he feels like if he tried to be nice, everyone would be like, oh, he's just doing the Simon thing over again. Yeah. But I also think that he's made some comments that make it seem like, because the whole like balls on the throne idea, mm-hmm. he thinks that the people were talking about the referendum to abolish the monarchy because Simon was weak, but it was... The public had no plans to abolish the monarchy until Simon himself, who was so beloved and respected by them, sure. brought it up. I mean, sure, you have Moorfield, but there's nothing in the show that indicates that Moorfield's party has any sort of wide, popular support from the people. To be so honest, it seems like...
0: I don't know that there's much in the show to indicate exactly how popular this anti-monarchy, this abolishment of the monarchy plan is, or if people care... In the slightest, for the most part.
1: I think that Moorfield wouldn't have to stoop to his seductions with Penelope and Maribel if his party had actual power.
0: Probably not. You're right. There's a brief scene of the prime minister comes to visit Cyrus and they talk about politics.
1: They don't really talk about politics. They stand so close to each other that you're like, are they going to (laughs) kiss?
0: Yeah. a little bit of tension.
1: They just trade a bunch of like innuendos while staring into each other's mouths and like panting and at the end he says something that i had an immediate strongly negative reaction to because Mm. it's something you actually will hear said about female politicians in this country and elsewhere which is you just need to get laid which
0: oh okay is yeah.
1: beyond, yeah. beyond horrible. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, the vast majority of the time when people say this about female politicians, like, for example, Hillary Clinton, it's a very misogynist and untrue thing to say. That being said, in this instance, <laughs> in this instance only, every single time we've seen this character, she is trying sedu- t- to seduce reporters, trying to mm-hmm. seduce Liam, arguably, because she was extremely flirtatious with him at the garden party. And now yep. she's, like, got her boobs against up against Cyrus's chest while she's confronting him. It does seem like this character is extremely sexual and is, like, lusting after every man that she meets, which I'm not saying the character isn't misogynist. I'm saying Cyrus may not have been wrong in this one instance about sure. her motivation. Because well, last episode she was telling Liam, like... I think you and I could get along very well.
0: I don't think the problem is that that line of argument isn't incredibly problematic. The problem is that this character that Thank it's being you. aimed at is incredibly problematic, so you it works. You said it because, more elegantly than me. Yeah. Because the character herself is 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 also a a pretty misogynistic uh, caricature.
1: Yeah, I mean, she enters every scene wearing a low-cut tank top with tons of cleavage under a blazer, paired with a mini skirt, bare legs, and stilettos.
0: Yes, right. Yeah, I I feel like they just had to get her in this episode for reasons I I don't fully understand. To remind Um, us that she exists? She appears and she is gone.
1: So the Prime Minister also reminds us that the referendum is still technically on the table and she could put it through to have the people vote on. So she can kind of dangle that over Cyrus's head. In season one, that was such a big deal and now we haven't really heard about it. And I'm like, is this even a priority to anyone anymore? And I think
0: the rest of the season bears out that the answer is no.
1: It would make sense for the current prime minister who I still don't know if she has a name. I've just been calling her the prime minister. Yeah,
0: I think even in the scene, they refer to her only as like uh, acting prime minister. I don't know that they ever say a name.
1: Well, anyway, if I were her, I would be staunchly anti-monarchy just because of Cyrus. Yeah. (laughs) So if I were her, I would be doing everything in my power to get that pushed through or to, I mean, I don't know if you can like impeach a royal, have them declared unfit to rule, rule something like that i don't really know how that system works i guess i should have uh sought out the advice of our dear british friend darren but what are you gonna do i just this character so far has failed to impress me in any way because all she does is like make eyes at people and like sit with her legs crossed very tightly i don't know i don't yeah. know what more to say about her
0: yeah and i don't I could be wrong on this, but my recollection is that she's, she's not particularly important to the last few episodes of the season, which, uh, which deal with some other matters much more thoroughly than, than anything to do with this prime minister, uh, aspect of the show. We, the other main arc of this story is that Helena and Eleanor get some mother-daughter bonding time. Hmm. Um, Helena, uh, wakes up. Eleanor, who I believe throws a bottle of vodka at her head? Yeah. Yeah. Which she takes in stride, to her credit.
1: Helena's like, oh, I was insulted by you throwing a bottle of vodka at my head, but it's more insulting than it's cheap vodka or something like that. There's some discussion of the quality of the vodka, and I'm like, your daughter is an alcoholic.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Hilarious. So funny.
0: She takes her desperately hungover daughter, who has been heartbroken the night before, horseback riding. Um, and immediately begins to. I thought this was ridiculous. She starts criticizing Simon using the horse. Like she starts sniping at a dead man.
1: You glossed over something very important, Zach. Sure. Go
0: ahead.
1: Helena doesn't ask Eleanor if she wants to go horseback riding. Oh, okay. She asks her, Do you want to go see Charlie Jones? No. Charlie Jones is the name that. of the horse. It's the not... horse is named Charlie Jones. First name Charlie, last name Jones. I love animals having people names, so I got a huge, huge, huge kick out of that.
0: That's not, yeah, that's a pretty good horse name. I, I actually did not catch that, but no, it's not bad. And I suppose it's probably because um, they imply that Eleanor got this horse when she was a little girl from Helena, Uh, So, assumedly, she named her when she was pretty young. And I guess Charlie Jones. I could see a little kid deciding to name their horse Charlie Jones.
1: I'm not, yeah, I'm not even kidding. I think it's a great name. I love uh, animals having people names for some reason. It's really, really funny to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of talk in these scenes, you know. They both, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) They both clearly really like horses. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, but Helena has a lot of, like, sentimental BS about how, like, I didn't want to limit you, I wanted you to run free, I wanted you to make your own way in the world, and I didn't want to tell you who to be. This is in direct opposition with every single interaction they had in season one it makes not a lick of sense it's like rocks fell and everyone got amnesia in between seasons and the one thing they remembered was that time jasper went down on helena which is (laughs) the first thing i would try to forget
0: yeah um i guess for these scenes you should get used to that uh particular uh that particular thing where it just kind of forgets how Helena acted as a character for literally the entire time the show has been on so far. Maybe up
1: until the choose love point, but even after that, she defends that by saying, I was high.
0: Yeah, no, even, I would say, even as recently as last episode, apparently meeting with Alistair Lacey in his home. Uh, created some kind of radical change of spirit that also convinced her that she wasn't terrible to her children all along somehow? He
1: negged the shit out of her and it worked. Because when they were like lying on a bearskin rug together in front of the fire, fire like wearing flowers in their hair and like all this romantic lingerie she basically couldn't give a shit. But as soon as he's like, I don't want to see you anymore. She's like, wait, I need to change my entire <laughs> life based on your opinion. Like, yeah. he negged her and it worked. Yeah. So...
0: But they have this brief debate about how, uh, from Eleanor's correct perspective, Helena was a cruel, abandoning figure, and Helena defends it as giving her her freedom, something that uh, Joan Collins, she says, never did, because she was extremely controlling, which probably is true. Um,
1: and Eleanor immediately defends her grandmother by saying, Dutchie's awesome, which or Dutchie's great, something like that, which is kind of a classic child-parent move. like Because we all know that our grandparents don't treat us the same way that they, treat that they kids, treated yeah. our parents when they were kids. So it's like a very, very passive-aggressive thing. I just thought it was amusing because it seems like something I would do. Well, <laughs> um, but. but its I thought it was really funny. At one point, the girls are brushing Charlie Jones and they're both like standing on either side of his neck and petting his head and there are two or three groomsmen like men who work for the stables standing pretty much shoulder to shoulder with them saddling up Charlie or maybe taking his saddle off. And the girls are having or the women are having this incredibly intimate conversation. And these three strangers (laughs) are just standing there like in a huddle with them around this horse, hearing everything while they talk about this like intimate, intimate personal family business.
0: It turns out there are a few employees at the palace that have not been replaced by scantily clad women. Who knew? I guess Cyrus uh, had a little oversight with that one. But uh, it's pretty rare. He's
1: got to have some good-looking young men around too, because you know we know he likes it both ways, and they are very good-looking young men. So Mm -hmm. it's all part of Cyrus's larger plan. Don't worry about it; he's got it under control. All
0: right, I'll trust (laughs) Cyrus. I did want
1: to say because it is you know we haven't talked about this as much in the second season as the first season, but it is a beautifully shot show at times the scenes where they're in the countryside with charlie jones can you tell i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. charlie jones as much as possible um are just gorgeous the countryside is gorgeous they clearly shot on location the stables are beautiful and there's this, this like stone gazebo with um an arbor of roses all around it and um there's a shot of the women having like a positive moment and embracing later on um, in this kind of stone gazebo thing that is just like beautiful on another Mm -hmm. show this would be incredibly incredibly touching I think we just got to get all this Eleanor and Helena stuff out of the way because I am fired up Helena does something that from a parenting perspective in my opinion is completely unconscionable even not knowing as much about what Jasper has done to Helena as she does she tries to actively meddle in Eleanor's love life to get her and Jasper back together yes. it is completely yeah. baffling even though Helena doesn't really know the extent of what Jasper did to Eleanor in terms of you know the thing we promised we would stop ranting about and a billion other you know incidents it's it's not believable to me any of this it doesn't make any sense that a mother would try to push her daughter back to someone who had cheated on her daughter with her herself Mm -hmm. but nothing Helena really does as a parent or a person makes sense so I don't know why I'm surprised I guess I'm confused that the show plays this as being as tender and touching a thing as it is. And like, oh, I've seen the way he looks at you and yeah. stuff. Like, none of this ever happened. Like, in the first season, she didn't see Jasper looking at Eleanor. She saw him alone in the hallway. Yes. Thought he was hot. Wanted to cheat on her husband. Because I think we have reason to believe that Alistair was not the only person she was cheating on Simon with. Mm-hmm. Um And... Didn't even know about their relationship when he, you know, went down on her.
0: In terms of the, uh, I saw him looking at you and it was a look of love thing, right? That was the end of the previous episode when she's in the bumper car all heartbroken and oh, Helena sees right. Jasper still staring over at her in the bumper car, but not actually... Doing anything.
1: This is just another example of the show mistaking stalking for love.
0: <laughs> so she claims she had him go down on her because, <laughs> because well, she didn't think that Jasper was good enough for Eleanor, right? And that she was going to throw away her life on him. Never mind. At this point, I would say their relationship was not entirely positive, anyways. Um, but it never has been. Never has been. Absolutely never. Uh but that also does not totally make sense i don't know you you mentioned a few episodes ago i didn't remember this personally but that jasper also wanted to get with helena for some reason that i'm not really clear about but that there was some speech he gave
1: he gave this speech about how like the life he had she knows that he's american Um, Mm -hmm. And he gives this speech about the life that he left behind in Las Vegas, how he got – she's like, I know you got involved with this gangster's daughter, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, all that is true, but there's one thing you got wrong. It wasn't his daughter I wanted. It was his wife. (laughs) And then it's like a very obvious Simon and, you know, Helena and Eleanor parallel. So he has a very active role in the seduction. Elena is acting like she, like, borderline sexually coerced him. Which, not that sexual coercion would be a first for this show, but for once, no, it actually was consensual sex, if you can believe it. Yeah. It was consensual, and he very much had a hand in making it happen, so... The show is completely misrepresenting it, which is part of the reason I think that we've never seen that scene replayed on a previously on. We've never seen even a part Mm. of it on a previously on this season, which they've pulled tons of stuff from the first season. Like Ophelia saying random lines will get thrown into the previously ons and she's not even on the show anymore.
0: The entire season, this has been a constant complaint that Jasper as a character has changed his motivations now. Looking back on the first season with the eyes of, okay, he was trying to do this elaborate con on Eleanor. His actions in season one just do not make any sense whatsoever if the goal was to gain enough trust to steal this diamond.
1: If the goal was to really to gain enough trust to steal the diamond, he should have stuck with his nerdy demeanor from like the first 20 minutes of episode one. Absolutely. I mean, I can buy that he gave up their nerdy demeanor and did a bad job with his plan because he was like overcome with lust for her but then that shouldn't be played as a romantic thing yeah helena tells eleanor like it's really sad god the eleanor character just it's because alexandra park is a good actress not because the writing she's Mm -hmm. like i feel like i can never i'll never find someone who loves me for who i am and kind of implies that she doesn't think she deserves that which is absolutely heartbreaking and i think eleanor has a lot of positive qualities that's part of the reason i get so upset that no one's trying to help her with her substance abuse problem um and helena says you already have someone who loves you for you i love you which in any other circumstances this would be just beautiful touching Mm -hmm. love it but again the entire show has been helena berating both of her children but especially eleanor Shaming them for who they are, shaming them for who they love, um, trying to alienate them from their father, which is pretty much textbook abusive parent behavior.
0: She belittles Simon, who's dead at this point, about how he never respected Eleanor and never gave her freedom. Like,
1: Which also doesn't bear out. In the first episode, Eleanor goes out to the club and comes back and is hanging out in... The, I think it's the first episode of the show. She's hanging mm-hmm. out in the basement of the palace eating pie with her dad, which is really cute. And she's stoned obviously. And he doesn't even really scold her for like being out late at night, wandering the castle late at night, eating, being high. Like if that's not freedom, what the hell is?
0: And not to mention taking off in a helicopter to a nightclub. Well, kind of the rest of the narrative. Eventually Helena gives Jasper this little pep talk at the end of the episode, just to bore through this particular aspect of the story. Um, and I mean, it's one of Jasper's few scenes in the episode. And she just basically was like, I don't know what you did, which is true. She has no idea the degree of the terrible things that Jasper did, but, uh, lets him know that she is rooting for him to win Eleanor back. Um,
1: Okay, so she's infuriated that Cyrus is having this affair with the quote-unquote help, and they spend tons of time in this episode shitting on Violet for being a maid, but a bodyguard who is an American, a commoner, and in no way a member of their social class is fine.
0: I guess. She, She embraced the choose love very suddenly, except not in Cyrus's case.
1: I think it's more misogyny too because it was also a problem that Ophelia was American and a commoner. Yeah, but true. with the men, it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sure.
0: Um, <laughs> anyways, the rest of their storyline, I feel like we kind of have to envelop with Liam and Ted's because they're yeah. all mixed together. Things are
1: sort of starting to come to a head. You know, we're at 2.07. It's only a 10-episode long season. I think this is when, in the back half of this episode, we start to feel that, like, thrust towards the final, you know, the finale, the beginning of the end of this season's arc.
0: Yeah. And in this episode, there's a lot of groundwork laid. There is three separate scenes of exposition, sort of, that completely explain this domino thing.
1: It's an exposition dump.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a lot of people telling other characters what happened 30 years ago. So one of the scenes is Ted, who goes to this address on the back of the card, meets this guy and just basically points a gun at him while he has soup um, and asks him to explain what's going on, more or less.
1: (laughs) This guy has basically openly accused... Um, Ted of not just being yes. Simon's murder, but having a hand in Robert's death, which yeah. you can make, you know, you can make an argument for Ted having motives to be Simon's killer because of the death of his wife. I don't see how Robert is involved in that in any way. At least it hasn't been mentioned up till now. Sure. Um, so this guy is according to him
0: from the ac- previous episode,
1: <laughs> according to him, um, Hell, I'll just call him Deep Throat. Yeah. According to Deep Throat, Ted is a murderer, but when Ted sits there pointing a loaded gun at him, he really is chill about just continuing to eat his soup.
0: I mean he 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 implies that he threatens Ted with the idea that maybe he's a an undercover like police officer trying to get him to cop to Ted's murder or something. But even that doesn't make sense because if he's undercover, Ted is already pointing a loaded gun at an unarmed man, which I'm pretty sure might be illegal. I I, I don't really know how the law works in the Royals universe, but...
1: I mean, this is kind of almost like a classic parlor speech scene in some ways Mm -hmm. because the guy is very amused and he's being coy and they're having like the repartee and he's saying like i didn't know until Robert died that we had a common enemy mm-hmm. and that I had an ally, yeah. but doesn't explain in any way how he knew that
0: well like it's really, really vague it's like the human body has so many tells, and you, Ted, are no <laughs> exception and it's like he talks about the fear in his eyes when he accused him of killing the king, and like all this. The- Heathert
1: says it was a bluff when he accused him of killing the king but then he says that Ted proved it by freaking out. I'm like if I were accused of murder whether or not I did it, you can bet your buttons I'd be freaking out.
0: But anyways, this guy seems to think he's unravelled this whole thing and Ted is pretty stoic in his response. He doesn't really Ted
1: says almost nothing. Yeah. I mean at this point as a viewer, Again, at this point, Zach and I know who the killer is, but I won't reveal. At this point, when I watched it the first time, I was like, I couldn't tell if we're supposed to know at this point if Ted is the killer or not. Yeah.
0: Uh, I did, I I will say I agree with that. When I saw it the first time, I, I had no inclination one way or another for certain whether this guy was telling the truth or... Or as it seems, just making shit up.
1: I couldn't even tell if the show was trying to tell us or not. That's the, that's what I mean. Like I couldn't tell if we were supposed to be like, oh, this is definitely the truth, or if there was supposed to be ambiguity.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's um, a mess. But meanwhile, in the second of the two uh, intertwined exposition dumps, Liam goes to this tattoo parlor, and through the uh, he finds the he finds the girl herself there. Right, she's she's at. The parlor? She's an artist?
1: That sounds right. Yeah. It was very hard for me to parse certain parts of the plot in this episode. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you.
0: So, apparently, this girl just works at this tattoo parlor, and they have this very clandestine conversation where they act like they're ta- talking about tattoos, but she secretly is giving him information on cards about what to investigate, and gives him the name Dominique Stewart, which somehow... Leads Liam to go talk to this guy, this old British man who he has tea with, who apparently knows a bunch about Dominique Stewart.
1: That old British man was on a couple of episodes very early in the show's run. I think he was the guy who Helena walked in on in her underwear and he was like, it's good to be king.
0: Okay, so it's... uh,
1: They showed him in the previously on, he was the one who told Simon that Robert was dead.
0: So he's a long-serving member of the waitstaff who surely got fired when Cyrus took over... In favor of a clantily scad prostitute.
1: A clantily scad prostitute?
0: Well, one of those things.
1: (laughs) Um, I got your meaning, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that it might also be worth pointing out that not only is Dominique Stewart the girl who died at some point, who Simon was apparently in love with, Mm -hmm. but Dominique Stewart is also the name of this girl. The waitress tattoo girl.
0: Yeah, okay. They're both named Dominique Stewart. Right. right. Um, Yeah. So apparently she was named after uh, the deceased. Um, Who
1: is her aunt? I'm forgetting in what order information is revealed. But at a certain point, this girl just, like, says she was my aunt. I never met her because she died way before I was born. um, But I was named for her.
0: The scenes of the characters actually learning this information is so dull. It's just like a character telling them what happened. That basically what I was trying to do is we set up the three different ways that the characters learn it, and then we just explain what the fuck happened.
1: <laughs> That's the thing; it's a, there's no other way to put it besides exposition dump. So it's hard, kind of, to remember what order things happened in. Yeah, because and I don't think it, it, it wasn't th- plot; it was just information. Yeah,
0: like I don't think it matters. But
1: no, it doesn't matter. So I'm just gonna say, um, this girl is like, oh, but you know. I put the necklace on you again. Doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense why she did that. Um, but you seem so nice when you were drunk and passed out in the gutter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And later on, when I'll call her Dominique Jr. When Dominique Jr. comes back to the house, her dad, deep throat, don't we mm-hmm. just love all the code names were coming up for these characters? Her dad, deep throat is like, what did you think of the Prince? Charming, isn't he? Or charismatic. And Dominique Jr. is like, he seemed okay, in a way that makes it very clear that she likes him. And mm-hmm. I just want to say, I can't believe they're giving Liam another love interest, because they definitely are.
0: Genevieve was just in the last episode. There is absolutely no reason. Like, they just d- discarded her for no reason whatsoever. No, but- she
1: had something approaching a personality.
0: Yeah, You know,
1: that's true. I almost miss Ophelia because at least I feel like Ophelia had a place among the other characters. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, she wasn't just attached to Liam. She was friends with Eleanor. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, Ted's daughter. She, she had, uh, had kind of a rivalry with, with Helena. Marcus yeah. was apparently in love with her. She fought with Gemma. Um, so even though she didn't maybe necessarily have, like, the strongest character traits, she didn't feel so random. Whereas mm-hmm. now it feels like every episode they throw a different pretty incredibly young girl at him just like see what sticks
0: yeah um and
1: this is a total like two households both alike in dignity type <laughs> thing
0: the conversation he has with dominique jr in this little uh sort of stairwell is spectacular i mean liam and dominique jr it's is is amazingly written but um before we get there I guess we should just go over what the deal with Domino and Dominique is.
1: We just need to have it out regardless of which character's plot it belonged to. Because I think if you're not someone who's watching the show, confusing. So just explain the story of Dominique Stewart. Spin us a yarn, won't you?
0: So between these three sources, Eleanor, Helena, and Liam, and this old man, and Deep Throat, and Ted, we learn that 30 years ago, Simon was in love with someone aside from Helena— uh, deeply in love with a girl named Dominique Stewart, who had like all the great titles, everything she needed to be the perfect queen um, it was a perfect match, even though simon didn 't give a shit about any of that he just he was in love and that was top to bottom these two were perfect for each other, and meanwhile, Helena got on i guess she became a prospective uh sort of um partner for Ted through her mother's for Simon through her mother's machinations.
1: Like, Ted and Helena would never be romantic <laughs> no, 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 involved. No, no, no. How I, dare I you? Say,
0: I meant to say for Simon. Uh, through her mother's relentless, I assume, uh efforts and machinations. Um so basically it seemed like it was a done deal that Simon was going to marry this girl. But one day, at a horse riding event of some kind, uh, a race maybe, or a competitive event, um, the they were all riding, and Helena was there, Simon was there, theoretically Dutchie was there. And at some Butler point... Butler
1: was in the parlor with the right, rope.
0: Um, the Domin- Dominique, uh, who is called Domino by her family because... Deep Throat couldn't pronounce her name as a child. Um, Fucking
1: obnoxious nickname.
0: (laughs) um, Was thrown from her horse and killed. And Deep Throat is convinced it was foul play.
1: Okay, so I can clarify that just a little bit more she was at a race which apparently mm-hmm. she did very well at but the horse needs like time to cool down after the race you can't just like bring them to a complete standstill so she, dominique broke off from the crowd in the event and was like riding her horse more leisurely through um like this woods at the yeah, edge of the countryside thicket or something. yeah which i Um, And her younger brother was there who grows up to be Deep Throat. And we see all this through a flashback, another like weird gray, blue, soft lit flashback. Mm -hmm. With this, like, kid who looks like he should be friggin' Oliver Twist. Like, he's dressed like he's in a Dickens story, not Uh like it's the 70s or whatever it's supposed to be. Being like, Domino! Domino! When he sees her horse running up without her. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: just have to say, I mean, I think that horses are incredible creatures and they're very smart and they're amazing. But, you know shit happens even the best behaved of horses there are incidents even the most trained of riders they're horrible mm. accidents i mean just look at christopher reeves for example he was a very talented horseback rider and he ended up being horribly oh, really? horribly injured um so shit happens all the time but for some reason it seems like instantaneously dominique stewart's family is convinced that it was foul play they're convinced that it was the work of yeah. Helena helena's family and yes. they put All their resources and every cent that they have and like their reputation, their title, Mm -hmm. they put it all on the line to take um, Helena and her family to court over this or to try to get justice, quote unquote. And I'm like,
0: I do a shred how you could of evidence, prove this.
1: Yeah, there's not a shred of evidence. You could not prove this case in the court of law. There's no physical evidence on the horse. There's no, like, lame foot or, like, missing horseshoe. Like, no even MacGuffin contrivance. There's no Chekhov's horseshoe in this. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Which right. is kind of surprising, given the other plot lines on the show. Um, so, that's what Deep Throat says. Um, intercut after... Eleanor and Helena's bonding, we see Eleanor looking at old pictures of her mother and being like, oh, she was once a young woman just like me. Very
0: convenient timing.
1: Yeah, and they're just like great pictures of young Elizabeth Hurley, I just have to say. Mm -hmm. Like, it is kind of funny that she did sort of dress like goth Eleanor when she was a young woman because they definitely are pictures of the real young Elizabeth Hurley. Um, And Eleanor starts to like, see stuff of Simon and Dominique among the family photos and she starts to get suspicious I guess I think this is just part of trying to like create conflict with Eleanor wanting to trust her mother but maybe not I don't Mm -hmm. know if I like if I were like looking through old photos and I found pictures of my dad and his ex-girlfriend I would be like haha gross I wouldn't be like but he loves someone besides my mother once like is my whole life a lie
0: yeah um It's she's she's looking through these photographs a lot in this episode, including at the very end where conveniently Liam comes by with the photograph he found earlier that day that was torn from the picture that Eleanor is looking at at that very moment. Um, Earlier
1: um, I was, yeah, earlier I was complaining about the casting of young Dominique Stewart because she looks so much like she'd be young Helena. But the casting of young Simon was 100% correct. He mm -hmm. looks like he's got that like jowly, like kind of square headed. I hate to say block headed, but
0: block headed look. Mm -hmm.
1: Hilarious how much like they look. And he's like staring at her adoringly while she holds this like horse riding trophy it's absolutely hysterical it's meant to be very poignant, but it's not
0: with all of that the mystery is kind of revealed although we do learn as we kind of alluded to earlier that domino had nothing to do with the death of simon it had nothing to do with the death of robert all they've so done what's is the
1: fucking point they've why is this a... a part of the story
0: why i don't is not a part of the plot shannon i do not know i cannot I mean, tell we'll...
1: you i can't say it now because it's really more about the reveal of who killed Domino, which doesn't come this episode, but once it's revealed who killed Domino, who is kind of an extraneous character, I was like, literally, why is any of this a part of the show?
0: I, I, I mean, I, maybe in the third season, they'll do more with it. I don't know, but I um, hope
1: not bite your tongue. (laughs)
0: Um, but, uh, yeah, there you have it. Uh, that's that's the motivation for Domino, which again has done almost nothing uh, in terms of enacting the revenge. They've sent a few postcards. Um, <laughs> but there is... Um, it leads to uh, uh, a beautiful moment, I think, between Dominique Jr. and Liam. He returns to the tattoo parlor and she takes him outside to talk in this sort of sunken stairwell. And they have this... <laughs> It's Ridic- like a
1: quasi-secret passageway because obviously the most important scenes of this show always happen in secret always, passageways. of
0: course, in secret passageways. Um, they have this this super stilted conversation that is so bizarrely written. Like, every aspect of it just feels fake to me. I don't know if... I'm assu- I assume you got the same impression of it.
1: Yeah, like I said, I really feel that this is a contrivance to set this girl up as like a... To, like there's no other way to put it like star-crossed lovers are from like the warring households they've been going for like a kind of war of the roses type of thing with this family maybe that's the purpose of domino in the story i'm not sure this girl looks very young this girl is very bland it doesn't make sense why she put the necklace on him why they would try to alert liam of their presence unless she was trying to tell him about it to keep him safe, but it seems like her dad told her to do it, so I have no idea. I'm so confused.
0: It doesn't really make sense. Th- this Domino is like... It's also not like an organization. It's 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 these two people. Um, it's, it's worth noting. It's, in
1: theory, a family, but we've only seen two people. I mean, obviously... Deep Throat is the one with the axe to grind, because it was his older sister, Mm -hmm. and he's the one who saw, I have to assume, his parents go down with this ship, like, uh, you know, sinking everything into this case, because he was just a little boy, so I don't imagine he was in charge of, like, the legal decisions at the time. Um, And he's passed it on to his daughter, who knows not just nothing about her own aunt, but less than nothing about the royal family, so... I don't. Okay. uh... I've said okay so many times this episode and I know it must be annoying for me to be so repetitive but honestly that's the only response I have to this domino stuff because
0: it's appropriate it's
1: weird to say that this like shadowy cabal of conspirators has no effect on the plot but this shadowy cabal of conspirators has no effect on the plot
0: during uh, uh, as as Dominic Jr. and Liam are confronting one another I just don't understand like some of the lines in this are so strange because she talks about the night she met him and it's so like self-aggrandizing this dialogue where she's like, "You seem so sweet," and he was like, "I was broken. Sometimes I still am." And, Fuck and off! It's so, this is so but all Liam. the dialogue is like that.
1: That's like every one of his scenes. So either a girl is like, "I feel like his whole world is tumbling down around him," or he's mm-hmm. like. My whole family is falling apart. You can't be a part of my world. Like, but we never actually see him doing anything. Just, he just flies to different places to yell at people, be like, tell me what happened to my family.
0: I guess it just makes it worse when I see so much, like a total two minute scene of this dialogue so quickly delivered because they're talking to each other at a very rapid pace. He's asking her, like, if he hates her by choice or if she was born and bound Which is, like, not a way that makes sense. Like, nobody's like, were you part of it by choice or were you born and bound? And then she says, born born and bound. She (laughs) responds by repeating, born and bound.
1: Is that a thing people say? Is that a Britishism? I've never heard that before in my life. It's absurd.
0: And there's, like, I had to write down multiple bits of dialogue from this conversation because I couldn't believe it.
1: Can we Jesus. break our new can we break our no Googling rule to Google born and bound?
0: We, I guess we could, maybe. I that's up to you. I'm gonna let you live. I with have that. to
1: know. No, well now shit, now I feel like my whole world is tumbling down around <laughs> me.
0: Um the other two, there's two more bits of dialogue from this scene that I feel like I just have to mention. Do it. One is where Dominique says, My whole life I've been told to hate you and everything about you, and Liam says, Okay. Immediately his response is just okay. The word okay and then she continues talking. Like that is how I it was the most absurd thing. But that's not- it's so
1: passive aggressive. Like it's like that line from Workaholics. If you don't want to date me that's fine and I get it, but you're wrong and I hate you. Yeah. He's just like fine, hate me, I don't care, but he does care because he The only encouragement he gets in life is from beautiful young women. And this is no exception. It's the continuing running theme of people shitting on Eleanor while praising Liam. Um, But the last, the crown
0: jewel. I don't know if you want to take the role of Dominique Jr. for this particular line reading. Because I think you know what it is. It's maybe my favorite line from the entire episode because it's so overwrought. Um, I,
1: I don't know. You have to lay it on me.
0: So Liam starts asking about the symbol on the necklace, and he says, um, the symbol on the necklace, the tumbling dominoes, what's going to come tumbling down? (laughs) To which Dominique Jr. replies, your family!
1: (laughs) Okay, I do remember that, and I'll never forget again. Uh, Um, Oh my
0: god. The whole scene, I love it so much because it's so... It's like an alternate reality the way they talk the entire time. I was, I was, I know I'm harping on it, but I just loved it so no, much.
1: It is hysterical. It is hysterical, even more so than you couldn't think anything could get more like an overwrought, old timey British stage drama no. than Deep Throat and Ted. But then you have these this. two, yeah. and everything is just pointing towards this like forbidden romance, and it couldn't make less sense. I I honestly am at a loss for words. I mean, dear listener, I'm sure, you, as you know, if you've been listening along, there are episodes in the past where we've been like, why is this happening? What's this character's motivation? What's going on? But I have never been more confused by the Royals than I was in this episode. And this is supposed so to be the episode strange. that clarifies everything. I
0: know. It doesn't make any sense. We really need... We, well, we, really, well, we, we really almost need had
1: a guest to- for this episode, and now I'm so glad that we didn't because even though this particular guest had seen an episode before, it would be unintelligible. Oh my
0: God. I think I think at this point what we have to do is we have to finish with this thing. We have to go over what happens to Violet and we need to get out because we have we're too deep in the rabbit. We're hole. in
1: too deep and I'm scared. My we need to get out of here. I almost said my whole world is tumbling down on me again. I'm sounding like Liam. He says it you like are, five yeah. times every episode. It's infectious. It's infectious. Oh it's like so a yawn and you can't stop yawning.
0: The final beat to this storyline is that Liam tells Eleanor that he now suspects that his mother, uh, Helena, killed Dominique. And that's basically the cap on the end of the episode that's the cliffhanger. Um, uh, But meanwhile, back with Cyrus and Violet, Cyrus is getting ready for his big speech. And he's a little anxious about it. Duchess has been trying to push him away. Um,
1: Uh, Real quick, yeah, the Duchess has told Helena... I'm not close to you because you're my daughter. I'm close to you because you're the queen. I'm going to go hang out with Violet. And then she literally, does a shot of her crossing the hallway (laughs) from Helena's room to Violet's room. We see Violet (laughs) open the door with Helena still in the foreground, invite the duchess in, and close it. It is hysterical. And it's worth bringing up that scene because Joan Collins says that Helena and Eleanor were, quote, Horsing, horsing around. around.
0: Yes, I noticed that too. And she's too. still
1: wearing a pink cape.
0: And I, I love that also because she accuses them of horsing around. But she also makes it clear that she didn't know what Helena was doing all day. So that may have been just a big old coincidence. Um, but It wasn't anyways. a coincidence
1: for the writers who are busy no. slapping each other on the back.
0: <laughs> no, definitely not. Anyways, so they're getting ready for the speech. And Cyrus is anxious about talking to the people. And so, Violet comes up with this bizarre excuse to leave, which I, is I'm
1: cr- I'm calling foul play on this.
0: Yeah, I think I she's mean, a
1: big fat liar.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out what the excuse is, and then and then we'll get your take on it real quick. Mm, my hot take. Um, she says when I was younger and I had to talk in front of people, my grandma would tell me to just breathe and relax. And she gave me something so
1: original, <laughs> who would ever thought of breathing and relaxing when you're stressed yeah.
0: and she gave me something that made me feel more comfortable. You stay here, I'm going to go get it and then she turns around, walks out the door, confesses that she does love Cyrus before she leaves, and walks out. This is the weirdest this is like- thing.
1: This is like your dad saying that he's going to the corner store to get a, po- a get pack of smokes cigarettes. and
0: never coming Except back. he didn't even come up with the cigarettes. He's just like, <laughs> I'm going to the corner store to get something. I'll be back later.
1: You have to come up with an excuse for your excuse. Um, but this seems to spur Cyrus into what might be the most ridiculous scene of an incredibly ridiculous uh, episode.
0: Well, she said she was going to be back before the speech, and she's not.
1: He has a speech on camera. He was, like, all hyped up because she said that she loved him. Now she's not here, so he feels, like, mad and betrayed because... He's incredibly insecure in all of his relationships. Maybe because he always treats people like, shit, I'm just spitballing here. He mm-hmm. sits on the throne. You know, all the video cameras are pointed at him, and he's mic'd, which is important to mention. Yes. Um, he has, like, a lavalier mic. And uh-huh. he... You would think that this would be damage control. Like, not if not apologizing for jailing the cartoonist, then, like, trying to give some sort of justification. But he's basically like, if you cross me... I'll know, I'll find out about yeah. it, and I'll punish you. Then he looks into the camera, says, long live the king, about himself, rips the mic off his jacket, throws it down, and walks out, and the last shot is the empty throne.
0: Yep. Yeah. So once again, wow. now that Violet is ostensibly missing, she hasn't shown back up, he's gone back to full villain, which I can't complain about.
1: No, this is the right direction for the show to take.
0: Yeah. Um, This
1: very much calls back to the season one finale, which ended with him sitting on the throne looking self-satisfied to everybody wants to rule the world, the Lord Tears for Fears cover.
0: But uh, it's a nice return to form for Cyrus. Violet is out of the picture, which I think is for the purposes of this podcast, a good thing. Well...
1: To be fair, we don't really know that she's missing missing That's yet true. at this point because she just didn't show back up. But we'll find out on the next episode that she is truly like a missing person. Yes. Um, I say if since it's the Royals, if you don't see someone getting totally die. ganked, then they yep. could still very much be alive. And we'll get into that more when we hit the season finale. But there was the way that also, she seemed weird about Cyrus saying, I love you. The flimsy mm-hmm. excuse, the she, yes. all the emphasis of I promise I'll be there and then she's not there. Every it's starting to look like. I mean, I would be happy if I figured out that I was wrong about her and she's actually like an antagonist. A conniving later on, villain, yeah. I'd with love like that. some sort of ulterior motive, that'd be a lot more fun than like the I'll, Mandy bullshit, I'll for confess, example.
0: When I first watched this season through, my hope was that she was going to be revealed to be using Cyrus or betray him in some fashion, because that would be a way more interesting char- direction for the character to go in than this just morality pet, as we've called her before.
1: Yeah, even if she were, like, someone who were just after him for the money and power, that would be more interesting. Yes. Yeah. Knowing this show, I'm guessing she's part of, like, a global conspiracy with mm-hmm. an amazingly clever name. Um, but Yeah, or she wants we'll to see. steal
0: uh, a precious artifact.
1: Something Um, for our listeners to look forward to, I'll say real quick. uh, You know, when we recorded season one, we had already seen most of season two. But when we do our season two wrap up, season three has not aired. So I'm guessing our season two wrap up will be a lot of predictions and we'll be able to kind of expand on where we think the show might go with Violet and other missing characters in the future.
0: But in terms of what happens in the episode... I think that pretty much sums it up.
1: Yeah, it really does. We covered, you know, I know this was kind of a long, jumbled episode, but we had so much ground yeah, to cover because it really was. this is stuff that's been being built up to for, you know, more than one and a half seasons. Again, is there a satisfying payoff?
0: Uh, no. I, not, not yet, anyway. Not um, yet. Um, but... I, I, do you want to ask your final question and then...
1: I'll ask my question. I don't even know if I myself have an ans- a, a good one. answer a to one. this, though. What was your favorite moment or image of the episode?
0: So, um, I suppose the most fun moment that was intentionally supposed to be kind of a fun, ridiculous moment was was probably Cyrus's little speech at the end. That but, was great.
1: That was really good.
0: But the the, the scene I had the most fun watching was Liam and Dominique Jr.
1: having their little
0: conversation because it. it was the most absurd thing I've ever seen.
1: Don't lie. Your favorite moment was, what's going to come tumbling down? Your, your family.
0: Your 100% the best line, maybe in the entire series.
1: Um, I'm so torn because I have a couple. Obviously, I loved that the horse's name was Charlie Jones. Mm-hmm. In terms of images, which I would like to give the show credit where credit is due. Um, it's, it's beautifully shot. I really liked the image of... Helena and Eleanor embracing in the stone gazebo, even though it made no sense. But, as she so, so, so often does, my favorite moment was... Taken by the one and only Joan Collins when she walked from Helena's room into Violet's room in one of the most hilariously obvious shots I've ever seen. Like, they could have cut her going to Violet's room. They could have done anything else, but instead it played out like a cartoon. It was so, so funny. This Mm -hmm. episode was just like dumping exposition on us at every moment in the most obvious ways, which led to some really funny moments, which is Mm -hmm. where I think we both landed with our favorite moments.
0: Yeah, I think so too. This, Uh, this
1: episode was a mess. and I don't mean just a stage of fools, although that too, but this episode of the Royals was a mess.
0: Oh my God. I mean, and, and yeah, this was, Hey, we took a week off and I think this, this week back was a little (gasps) bit of a long one, but Zach,
1: we Hmm. forgot something, something very important. What's that? Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> the whole episode, Jasper is sitting there watching security footage.
0: Oh, right. And he right. sees very
1: Lucius in the hallways of the palace during the time when he during was supposed to be murdering Simon. So we know now that Lucius couldn't... We already knew. We already knew, but, but know, now Jasper knows. Now Jasper knows. So... Someone inside the palace, and you know he's going to tell Liam. So now they're going to know that Lucius didn't kill Simon. Right.
0: There was that oh my
1: god, whoa! The there end. was a lot of plot in this episode. Holy shit! Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, and I was was... wish they had
1: put some in the twins' birthday episode, just because this was such a beast.
0: Yeah, it was, um, and it was a long, it was a long episode of the podcast. I think a little bit of a gift for coming for taking a week off, maybe. And I think the title of the episode really set the tone that it was going to take forever <laughs> to get through. That's
1: completely fair. And be a bit of a mess. Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that'll do it for us this time, right? If
1: you've listened this far, thank you. We love you. Uh, Please feel free to reach out on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools, or our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod. Let us know where you stand on the Stewart versus Henstridge Family Feud. Are you Mm -hmm. Team Domino or Team everyone else um, yeah. or Cyrus I think
0: th- is his own thing
1: yeah that's fair I would probably be team Cyrus even though I don't agree with like the suppression of the free press obviously mm-hmm. but god damn it the man looks good in cravats
0: yeah uh, but I guess on that note I have been Zach Powers
1: and I'm Shannon Camp and
0: we'll see you next time bye Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter, at Stage of Fools Pod, or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis. Uh,
1: Did you hear that? I did. Luna just slammed into my door. That was Luna. <laughs> um, I don't want to let her in cause I'm scared of her. Anyway, uh, <laughs>